Hi, Brian. Welcome to our webinar. Good. Nice to be with everyone. So, everyone, this is Steve Shore from the Real Truth About Health Conference, and we're here with Brian Clement, the co-director of the Hippocrates Health Institute, for our November webinar. And we are going to um, give Brian a chance to update us on anything that's been going on in the world of health, the Nutrition and Hippocrates Health Institute. And then after that, Brian, if you would um, start your opening lecture that you give at the beginning of our webinars. And then after that, we will move to take questions um, from the audience. Anyone in the audience um, that would like, after Brian is done speaking, to ask a question, just click the hand icon. Make sure you're not self-muted. And then I can call on you, uh, and Brian can take your questions. So, Brian, why don't you go ahead and let us know what's on your mind and what's new. And, um, and then when you're done with that, um, you can start uh, with your opening lecture for tonight. We just flew in uh, this morning, actually, uh, from Toronto. We spent the last two days at the Whole Life Expo and saw a lot of our friends up there in eastern Canada and got out just in time. They were expecting about a foot of snow in Toronto. And uh, we went to Toronto from California. We were started in San Francisco, uh, went down to Los Angeles, down to Huntington Beach, Irvine, et cetera, and saw a lot of our friends there. And uh, the week before that, we were in the Northeast in Connecticut, so we made our rounds. And this is really, uh, we're wrapping up, uh, be this weekend at a major medical conference in Orlando, if anyone's there. And that will be on Saturday. I'll be speaking at 4 o'clock. But pretty much that's, we're winding down for the rest of this year and looking forward to the real truth about health, the end of January uh, to 2020. It's amazing it's 2020 to us. And uh, we're finishing up. Uh, a very important documentary. A crew from California have been in filming for eight months and following a lot of our guests and their progress and watching what happens when people take responsibility. And hopefully that's going to be coming out sometime in 2020 also. And as you know, Stephen, uh, five years ago, uh, the most important film ever uh, documented uh, is was started to be made, Eating Our Way to Extinction. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting uh, sitting with some pretty interesting people in that, and everything from Anthony Robbins is on speaking about how when he consumed fish, he almost died. And then one of my co-workers and faculty members at Hippocrates, uh, a physician, a renowned stem cell physician who works at the Institute, uh, is working with him. And, you know, it's on and on it goes. So we see a lot of big things on the horizon. My Newest book with Anna Maria will be out February 1st called Manopause, and I'm working on three other books. The longest I ever took to write a book, and that's almost eight years, is Quantum Human Biology. And I finally realized uh, that I'm reading so much information on advanced sciences, and it's not something you find in the science literature that's sitting on the shelves of the library. And uh, I don't want to leave anything out. Hopefully that will be finished very soon. And for the first time in my life, uh, a group approached me and asked if I would do a weight regulation book. And that's in work. And hopefully that will be out in 2020. And then we're doing a compilation book. We're taking all of my 25 books and excerpting uh, many of them and then updating a lot of the thoughts I have on what I've written over the last uh, several decades. And so it's we're keeping busy and having a lot of fun and watching people heal. And you know, as we travel the other night in San Francisco, we met a woman who reminded us she came to us crippled. 
after going to Stanford, the University of California, uh, has the money, so went to the top doctors in the United States, and uh, all they did is give her more medicines, and within three weeks, she was no longer in pain and suffering. She could, she was mobile and could walk, and now she is in her 70s and doing well and flourishing. And, you know, it, we have a world today that is so fearful that everything's based upon fear. Uh, not only do the physicians uh, train, or are they trained to instill fear in you so that you go along with the program, but a lot of the practitioners out there today are fearful to tell the truth. And so everyone uh, is in a bad position if you're a patient. If you're in a situation you're looking for help from a health professional today, uh, it's very, very, very difficult to find somebody who's authentically telling you what they really know and what they feel. Uh, because it's a crazy world, but I believe everything's going to change. You know, we're at the pinnacle of the end of a generation of deception. And I believe the new world, if we're just humbled and clear and strong, uh, will be much different, much brighter for our children, my grandchildren, etc. So tonight's subject, we're going to speak about cancer. And uh, this is a segue from what I just said. Because there's so much fear, even in the alternative natural health field, to talk about cancer. It's sort of the sacred golden goose for the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, they make an average of a half a million dollars on every cancer patient. And to remind you that their statistics from their journals tell us that 93% of the people that contract cancer and are medically treated for it and do nothing else at all will eventually die from cancer. Now, that's the data that they're giving us. So I would hope that they're right. and I would observe that that's probably uh, correct. The other thing that we have to understand is that uh, cancer was almost a negligible concern uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. Here we are at the beginning of the 21st century, and it is an outrageous concern where over half of us are going to contract some level or some form of cancer. And uh, number three, uh, there isn't very much or any serious work being done in the hierarchy of research on this. Uh, everyone's looking for the remedy rather than the cause. And that's like chasing rabbits and not knowing where their holes are. So we have to find out what the hole is, where they're living, where this cancer comes from. And that's the exploration we've been on for the last 64 years at Hippocrates. And it's pretty clear to, to me and, and legitimate research scientists worldwide uh, that it is lifestyle. And it's not only the lifestyle we live, uh, but it's what we have done to the environment, what we've done to every aspect, the air, the water, uh, your homes, the workplace. Now with the five Gs, it's amplified the concerns and we're going to see even more and more uh, skyrocketing advancements in people contracting cancer. So the science is there, and I just hope there's more brave Physicians, brave researchers, brave scientists are going to stand up and start telling the truth and not cowtail to the money-making machine uh, and all of the propaganda that you hear about how we need more money for research, we want to cure this thing. If they really wanted to, they'd start where the, the hole is, where the core of this is. Where do we get these cancers from? And so when I look at it, here's what I consider uh, the number one, the number two, the number three in in uh, in hierarchical terms. I think your emotions are right at the top. I think that why some people could be eating 
healthy food and have emotional traumas and end up with cancer, which isn't as common, but I have seen that numbers of times over the years, is because it actually weakens uh, the immune system. When you become stressed and you're under chronic stress, you literally heighten the cortisol levels that shut off your genes. And when your gene is shut off, uh, what occurs is that it's a domino effect and your immune system is no longer functional. So I would say the number one causative reason we have that today is because of stress. And today we certainly have oh, hundreds and thousands of times more stress than you would have had a century or two ago. Uh, just consider uh, all of the things we are living with today and some of the so-called conveniences we have, how much we've become dependent upon them. You know, what would you do without your cell phone, uh, without a television, without your laptop computer, your stationary computer, uh, radio? And all of these things have, in some ways, made a modern life uh, easier to live, but in all ways have made us much more stressed. You know, I remember a time not long ago, a generation ago, when you were in a car, uh, you may have been listening to music, and you were calm. Now you're on the phone the whole time. There's no downtime. First thing you do is you get up in the morning, you look at your phone, go to bed at night, you look at your phone, and some of you are up in the middle of the night looking at your phone. So these things are paramount in reducing immune function, and that precipitates cancer. Now remember, every one of us every day have about 1% of our cells that potentially can become cancer. So 1% of our cells that are created out of billions of cells, and that's not an exaggeration, billions of cells a day, literally potentially could become cancer. What turns it on is switches it on and switches it off is your lifestyle. Number two, I would say, is the environment. So we all know the stories, and so I want to remind you so that this isn't some elusive thing, that if you're near radiation, you're going to end up with cancer. Uh, we saw the perfect example uh, after Chernobyl now, that happened in the 1980s, that 100% of all the younger people contracted thyroid cancer. And some of these people still today, now they're in their 50s and, and beyond, come to us uh, with these cancers. And that's one, that's uranium. But how about mercury in your teeth that are <laughs> literally intentionally put in your teeth? Do you think mercury may cause cancer? Well, I know it does. Uh, there's no question about that. Do you think lead possibly, cadmium possibly can? And how many of you know that every single pesticide that's ever been sprayed on every single plant in the history of pesticides are riddled with heavy metals? And they don't stay on the plant so that the problems you ingested alone, they have runoff into the soil, into the aquifers, and you're drinking it in your water and taking showers in it. It's in the rivers, lakes, streams, oceans that we're in. And so we're bathing ourselves in deadly heavy metal toxins that are carcinogen. Now let's look up. How about the air? Ever since the Industrial Revolution, we've been spewing and continue to spew more today than ever uh, heavy metals, chemicals into the air itself. And it doesn't stay stationary. So what is actually being exposed uh, right now in China will eventually make its way on the jet stream around the planet Earth. And sometimes that jet stream stops and halts and moves in odd directions. And when that happens, 
uh, it can go 10, 20,000 miles. And then it slowly spews and drops it like rainfall into particular areas. I want to remind you that every single year, globally, in laboratories, 2,000 brand new chemicals are created that never existed before. So every single year, 2,000 chemicals. That means within 10 years, 20,000 new chemicals. And here's the caveat to this that's even more frightening. When these chemicals are let out into the environment, they mix with other chemicals and literally create chemicals that nobody intended to make, that we have no concept of what they are and how they work. But what we do know is that when you put some of these chemicals together, they dynamically and dramatically become more problematic. And some of us know when we were kids in, in high school even, uh, we were adding chemicals together and they could spew over from the Petri dish and the teacher, the professor at university would say to you, don't mix that with this, it may blow up. And we know these things. Uh, they take fertilizers and they make bombs out of them. Think about that. And we're putting this in our so-called food to eat. So this is a problem and it's spewing out in the air. And when it spews in the air and it universally covers the planet Earth, then it falls to the planet itself and gets on the plants, gets into the animals that people continue to choose to eat. I don't know why. And the eggs they produce and the milk that they produce, et cetera. And it, it bioaccumulates. It's a term that's used now in science. So, yes, it's in the grass, but when the cow eats kilo after kilo after kilo of grass a day, it amplifies and bioaccumulates such a dynamic level that in the fat of the animal that you eat or in the milk of the animal, uh, you basically get hundreds, and that's not a joke, hundreds of times more of these chemicals. So it's, it's problematic. In my book, Killer Fish, I wrote about how that uh, happens with you know, a larger fish eating a smaller fish and somebody eating that fish, and it, it amplifies and goes right up the entire scale. And so it is contamination after contamination after contamination we're putting in. And what we do know, and if you look at this very simply, if you put acid onto your skin, your, your skin actually starts to burn and the cells die. And you can actually put enough that it could make a hole in your skin, go right to the core of your bloodstream. Well, do you think a chemical that, that, that vial and acid in some smaller le level when it's not as acid as that cannot mutate cells? Of course they can. And when the cell, by the way, picks up the heavy metal, it's like you and I carrying 200 pounds and trying to walk up 100 stairs. So the cell gets exhausted, mutates, and starts to become a tumor. And this is another very simple thing to understand. We also have uh, the added attraction over the last 50 years or so of technology. And this is the most ominous thing that we're just starting to see the problems. But if you look at the brilliant work of Dr. Hardell, who when the cell industry was just beginning in Scandinavia as a cancer doctor, as an oncologist, he was screaming out and crying, please make these cell phones safe. Please do not put those towers near populations where people live. And he has continued for that whole time to cry out. So he's the world's leading authority, proving as an oncologist that this causes cancer. 
Dr. Dave Davis, who has been at the Real Truth About Health and has become one of our colleagues, is America's advocate and works with Stanford, works with the University of California, University of Sydney, Yale University. And they have come out with overwhelming data and evidence that cancers are directly being created by batteries in the cell phone when they're in close proximity to you. That it reduces or completely obliviates sperm counts in boys who put in men that put the cell phones in their pockets. So how much more evidence do we need? You know, I think that what people do, and including a lot of the so-called health professionals, is say, you have to show me data. Well, the data is there. You have to choose to read the data. You can't just cherry pick what's comfortable for you. And with 5G, which is 100 times more problematic than 4G, and literally was taken out of the whole military complex, the Pentagon, et cetera, and has been used globally for three generations, that means 75 years, to maim and hurt people. And they're now using it as a vehicle so we can have cell connectivity. This is insane. And I think I'd strongly advise that you all see, as lay people, most of you listening, uh, the documentary that's currently on YouTube. Watch it quick because they'll pull it down as sure as I'm sitting here, called 5G Apocalypse. And so we have worked to create technologies with the Germans and also the Russians to help to protect us from these things. I would never live on the planet Earth at this point without wearing uh, something like the high pulse, without on my phone having uh, having collectors of energy so it hits that rather than you, rather than mutate yourself. Remember, your cells are powerful. They create you. They create bones. They create tissue. They create everything about you. But at the same point, they're very delicate. They're sort of like a China doll. A China is beautiful. You ever look at a piece of China that's, that's crafted by an artist? It's beautiful, but very, very delicate. And that's what the human body is like. An extraordinary piece of equipment that literally can be mutated within a matter of seconds. It doesn't take more than that. The next thing we want to talk about is what you'd all expect me to initially talk about, and that's the things we consume. Well, that is a whole uh, cadre of problems that we talk about. So here's what we have learned. And we have recently on our podcast interviewed Dr. Campbell uh, for an hour on two different segments. And he told me some very interesting uh, things about his life and his history that I never knew before. I've gotten to know him fairly well over the decades. And what he said to me is when he was a young man and he was at uh, Hopkins University for a period of time, they actually were trying to find out why chickens were dying from the feed and getting sick. And they hadn't identified what the chemical was in there. Now, this was a combination of chemicals that created something. And he worked with it so much and for so long that he actually was not able to speak, that his nerve sheathings were eaten off him. And later, he and others discovered that was dioxin. And so he was one of the initiators to discover not only dioxin as a chemical, but how incredibly damaging it is to human cells. He was very lucky he didn't get cancer. We spoke about that. But for a number of years, and he still struggles speaking clearly, uh, he was unable to speak at all as a professor. Can you imagine being a professor and not being able to, to, to discuss what your feelings are 
and to teach your students. So these are the kind of things that people don't know. So they were feeding these to chickens. Obviously, the people eat the chicken or eat the egg, and you end up amplifying that and getting dioxins. And then when you go to the doctor and the oncologist is asked by you or your family members, how did Mary, how did John get the cancer? Well, we don't know. We need more research. Send us more donations. Let's send Anderson or Sloan Kettering more donations. Well, why can I sit here tonight and tell you all of these things? We had 10 hours. I, I wouldn't stop speaking about this. Now, let's talk about some of the things that we do know uh, behind meat, dairy. And meat, by the way, is fish. Read my book, Killer Fish. Dairy. Read my book, Dairy Deception. Poultry. Read my book, Poison Poultry. And you can also look on The Real Truth About Health and other YouTubes if you don't read, and many of you don't read anymore. Look at me doing uh, conferences on each and every one of these subjects. And we know and have in those books documented just a handful of the hundreds and thousands of research that have done globally that proves the link between fish and cancer, between poultry and cancer. The most obvious is between poultry and cancer, between dairy and cancer. Go back to Dr. Campbell. He was the first one that enlightened us. The number one food cause to create every form of cancer is milk and all the things we make from milk. And you still have people who call themselves health authorities telling you that you have to drink milk from another species. I don't know what's up with these people. Either they're half there or just salespeople or completely unenlightened or after they were done with their studies, they haven't learned one thing since. You know, I just, it, these things are frustrating to me because I sit and see, you know, people who, who are perceived as leaders who don't have the guts, courage, or perseverance to really stay up with what we do know today. And there is no longer questions that these things cause uh, cancer. And one of the things that was recently studied to really drive this point home is they looked at the tissue of breast cancer in women, and then they went back and they looked at the diets that they were eating. And they found the exact DNA of the chicken and or the egg that the women were eating in the cancer tumor in her breast. Now, what more do you need than that? That's like investigating uh, with a detective who has DNA sampling. That's how clear that is. We have DNA sampling that that chicken you ate is why you have that problem. And I haven't read other studies, but I'm sure if we looked at the very milk that you had, it would be the same. And the very red meat that you had, it would be the same. And so we see this. I see it in a clinical setting on a daily basis. You don't have to be a researcher. You just have to have common sense. You know, and I've worked with thousands and thousands, endless tens of thousands of people with cancer of my life. And these are the things we see firsthand. We don't have to only read the studies to support it. We see it firsthand. And we also see when we remove those things, many people have been able to heal themselves of this disease. So if it were not the causative reason, why then, if we take it away, are they able to remedy the disease? Now, grant you, we also work with their emotional state. We also clean up their body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The other most notorious thing that nobody wants to talk about, except the real serious people in the field of, of cancer research and, and uh, treatment today, is sugar. 
this is a debate I've had now for 40 years. Uh, and finally, we have some allies. Uh, one is, is somebody that, that we all know from The Real Truth About Health, and that's Thomas Seifrey, who no doubt in my mind, because I've, I've read about these things for 50 years, uh, he's the most important cancer researcher in the history of humanity. And uh, his book, an academic book, is Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. And uh, he was stunned to find out that I don't give sugars of any type, including fruit sugar, to people with cancer, and by the way, other diseases. And sat me down and showed me exactly why fruit sugar is the worst. If I wanted to make cancer worse, all sugars will do it. Glucose, dextrose, sucrose. But if you really want to feed it, give it fruit sugar, which is carrot juice, beet juice, etc. Now, some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute, Brian. You know, the Gerson Clinic, the this and that. A lot of these honeymoon periods where people have a removal or a, a, a time period where their cancer goes away is because they eliminate the meat. They eliminate the dairy. They start to cleanse their body. But long-term thriving without any of these diseases returning require that you eliminate the sugar. And one of the great stories on this, we had a woman come to us about 15 years ago, healed herself of a, a stage four cancer, and her family uh, just can't let her be. And so periodically they get all worked up and they say, well, you know, you had cancer and the doctors told you we were going to die and we just want to make sure that you're well. So about a year and a half ago, they said, well, let's go to Anderson because, you know, Anderson has the big name out in Texas, one of the big institutes in the United States uh, as a cancer center. And they went out there to Anderson and she said before and to the husband and the children, uh, we'll all go together. But I want in the room the head of the cancer center, the head of it, the leader of it. And I want the lead nutritionist to come in. And they said, okay, okay, anything to, to get her to go. So there they are sitting. And uh, the doctor said, well, I know you've been well, and I know that the cancer, but why don't we do some, some intervention to make sure it never comes back again? And she said, well, you know, this, is, this has been 14 years or 13 years, whatever it was at that point. And he said, but, you know, our, our way of looking at this is that inevitably it's going to come back. So why don't we just cut some pieces off in that? And she said, well, what do you think about sugar? And looks over at the head of the nutritional department there. And she said, oh, you can eat anything you want. Just have anything you want. Sugar is perfectly fine for you. So she listened for about five minutes and looked at the lead oncologist and pulled out a research paper from Anderson that basically said, sugar feeds cancer, and put one in front of him, one in front of her family members. I think she had three, uh, two children and the husband there, and one in front of the nutritionist. And she said, I want you to spend at least a minute reading what this institution produced that you seemingly don't know about. And so you've just told me that I need more medical intervention. I haven't had active cancer for 13, 14 years. You told me it's perfectly fine to eat anything I want. You're the head nutritionist, and that sugar is a great thing to, to have because it will keep me fattened up. And here's Anderson saying that sugar feeds cancer. So this is, unfortunately, the deep farce that many of you have to go through. It's not bad enough that you or a loved one has cancer, but then you have to know more. 
than the oncologist and the nutritionist. You have to actually challenge them. You have to fight for your life on two fronts, not on one front. So read my book, Sweet Disease, because every single chapter is a different disease. And I give the data, I give the research, and I give the proof of how either directly sugar creates a disease, or by the way, it instigates a disease or expands a disease. There's no disease on the planet Earth, be it a, a virus, a bacteria, a cancer, a mold, a yeast, a fungus, low or high blood sugar that isn't affected poorly by eating sugar, including fruit sugar. I know a lot of the holistic type doctors run around cheering, saying fruit is different than other sugar. They've got to study science. I know that they're supposed to be scientists, but seemingly they're not. Because fruit sugar will do the same exact thing, and I've observed this clinically for 40 years, and we've seen the difference when we pull sugar out of people with problems, they get better. Many of them never get better if we don't do that. And this is the biggest challenge I have. It's the biggest challenge I personally had in my life, giving up sugar. It's the biggest challenge all of you listening to me tonight have, and in the future who's, who's listening to this podcast have. The fact of the matter is we're all flaming sugar addicts. Just to repeat this again, we now know that all forms of sugar, including fruit sugar, that's in beet juice, in mangoes, in carrot juice, in apples, is 30 times more addictive than cocaine. Now, challenge me on anything I say tonight. We know that sugar feeds it. The elimination of sugar, which we've proven for four decades, helps to fight it. Look at the work of Otto Warburg, published in 1924. Nobel Prize given in 1931. Never challenged successfully. Matter of fact, been renewed after 90 years now by the top researchers and said Warburg was right. That when you put these sugars into the body, it ferments, it eliminates and reduces oxygen. And when you do that, it precipitates cancer. Brian Clement, as healthy as I am, if I reduce my oxygen by one third, I would begin having some form of cancer. So let's look at cooked food. So many people say, oh, it's extreme to eat a raw, it's extreme not to eat a raw food. Some facts. Number one, we share this planet with eight million other species. The only species that choose to eat cooked food is your species, Homo sapiens. You say, well, my dog eats canned food. In nature, your dog would not eat canned food. Pigeons would not eat bread that you gave them in a park. Every Creature, 100% of every other species on Earth eat 100% raw food diet. Number two thought. Ever since 1956, we've been putting people with cancer and other problems on a 100% raw diet. We have watched the results. Now, you may say, oh, we don't have enough research. You don't know, need research. We have living people who are told they were going to die. You know, this whole idea about you need more research before you can talk, well, I started to dance before I knew how to dance, and it was fun. You don't have to know how to do something exactly. You just keep doing it, and you learn it. And if you look back at all the education I've had versus all the experience I had, I'll take the experience hand down any day. So what we know about cooked food is three things. These are all scientifically unshakable truths. These are not personal opinions that I'm cherry-picking to impress you why cooked food gives you cancer. Number one. We've known since the beginning of the 20th century that when you cook a plant-based food that's even organic, 
the vegan diets that almost everyone's on, including the so-called vegan health doctors, health authorities. You actually create a problem called leukocytosis. Leukocytosis. So cytosis of the white blood cell, that means. What happens is that at these high temperatures, the structure of the food changes and the body's immune system identifies it as an alien or foreign uh, invader. And literally, the immune system attacks cooked food. We've known this for about 80 years now. Haven't changed it because every time we look at this, we see it. Number two, this is relatively recent, the last three or four decades, starting in Europe, Northern Europe. When you heat a food at a high temperature, even an organic plant-based food, a grain, carbohydrates, and all, all plants are carbohydrates, by the way. They may have high proteins in them, but all are carbohydrates. They have a secondary cancer element called an acrylamide. An acrylamide. Uh, when the Northern Europeans published this, everyone laughed. Now it's universally researched, and it's a done deal. So we know that that's a secondary cancer causer. Uh, for 68 years, we've known that you heat an oil, it becomes a carcinogen, and also contributes to both diabetes and cardiovascular problems. And every single food has oil, natural oil in it. Grant you, plants have essential oils in them. The only plants that have high saturated fats are palm oil. But the essential fat is the essential element that you get in lettuce and spinach and sprouts and everything else. When you heat an oil, it immediately breaks down the structure so that it doesn't successfully come in and out of your body and starts to pervade and take over the human cells and smother them. In part, this is a oxygen depletion problem that occurs. So the third reason we know cooked food gives you cancer is because of heated oils that are in it. And don't listen to these so-called health experts that tell you the best oil to cook with is this. Or the best oil, no oil should you cook with. If you happen to want oil on your food, wait till you've cooked it, let it cool a bit, get a Misto can from Italy, put your oil in there, pump it up, a very healthy, healthy oil, pump it up and spray it so you get minute levels of it. And then there's those who basically say to you, that oils of all type are bad constantly. There's overwhelming evidence that some of these healthy oils prevent cancers. So uh, what we all have to do is open our minds, I try to at least, things that I don't want to read, I don't want to believe I read, and sometimes I've read it enough and tried it enough, so it changes my mind. I think it's a danger to be closed-minded about things. And so we know that essential fats literally prevent many forms of cancer. We know that particular fats, uh, certainly a rare form of the most problematic prostate cancer, is directly linked to egg consumption. Particular fat that's in an egg, not other animal fat. That particular stage four cancer of the prostate comes from egg consumption. So we know these things. We no longer have to do more research on them. Let's talk about some of the positive things and then the negative things. Uh, I was lethargic. Besides being fat, besides never putting a food in my mouth, everything I ate was substances, not food. And I was living off them breaking down the sugars and the sugars 
Just like when you're in a hospital and they don't feed you, they give you sugar water and you breathe for a period of time. They kept doing that. Eventually, you die of malnourishment. But the reality is, I didn't exercise either. And so can you imagine the poor body that needs movement and circulation, perspiration, which is the natural form of detoxification? Everyone's worrying about buying the product to detoxify. Get off your fat ass and start exercising. That's the number one way the human body was meant to detoxify. What happens is when you start moving, you also need more water. You have more water, you start to purify more. It's just by sweeping in front of my house like I did tonight uh, before we got together here. I can do a pretty good job with the broom, but if I really want to get it clean, I get the hose and I start watering it. And that gets through the nooks and crannies, the crevices. That's a real cleanser. And exercise literally increases the oxygen load and moves the metabolism up. So you think exercise doesn't have to do with cancer? That's why obesity, cancer rates are significantly higher when people are overweight obese and morbidly obese. And the more obese and morbidly obese, the more cancer that people get. Look at the work that was done out of many of the universities. They publish these things. Seemingly, doctors don't read it, including the alternative doctors that basically say high lipids, high fats in the bloodstream create everything from more breast cancer to more prostate cancer to more liver cancer to gallbladder cancer. And I would render to say every form of cancer indirectly or directly is affected by lack of exercise. Increasing oxygen, you eliminate fats. You eliminate a lot of the poisons. You sweat things out. You bring stem cells, sometimes five, six times faster, to heal the parts of the body that are being rebuilt by the stem cell. You take out the old dying cells up to five, six times more. And so all of that goes a long way on the cell being happy and breathing and vigorous, and active, intelligent, and not mutate. If I keep everything moving, it doesn't have time to sit around and want to go with the bad guys. You know, Cells that are stagnant literally hang out with stagnant guys, stagnant cells, and that can become a problem for you. So the more exercise you do, the better it is. Now, there's a little concern that I have to bring in here, which is rarely a concern, though, and that's if people over-exercise, you can also end up with cancer. But a lot of you, if you're like I used to be over-exercised with walking up the stairs once a month, that's not what I'm talking about. So what we do know is that if a person says, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to run for five uh, miles twice a day. And by the way, I'm going to lift weights for uh, seven hours every day. Uh, this is over-exercise. We're not talking about doing sensible aerobic exercise for an hour, six, seven days a week, or lifting weights uh, two, three hours, three, four days a week, uh, doing stretching every day, doing abdominal exercise every single day. And on top of all of that, we'll add saunas. So we've known for more than 100 years that if you heat the body up gently, you literally kill cancer cells, bacteria, viruses, etc. This is why Americans and uh, North Americans have to get in planes and go to Europe uh, in civilized countries where they treat people with hyperthermia. That's the name of this treatment. Now, the good news is a close friend of mine did the work here, research 25 years ago. And after conducting five years of research with six doctors at university, oncologists, he came to me and said, 
Hyperthermia works, but guess what? Take an infrared sauna for an hour a day if you have cancer, and it's about the same. So you've just heard what I said. The day after that, so that you know, Anna Marie and I have taken a sauna 365 days a year. Today I've taken two saunas, by the way. Uh, I also take saunas when I get off planes. So I took a sauna at 4.30 this morning at the gym at the hotel after exercising aerobically. I flew in here, and at 2 o'clock today, I took a sauna at home. Because you're in a plane, you get radiation. We don't want to get into that subject tonight. That's a whole nother. So infrared saunas are going to detoxify the body. Research was done on paraplegics in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, and uh, Lindstrom said they get the same benefit, people who can't even move their body, as aerobic exercise by 40% just by doing an infrared sauna. Now, can you imagine doing what I do? I'm doing aerobic exercise and then doing a sauna 365 days a year. So you heat the body up naturally, detoxify, and then you go into the deeper, deeper tissue at that point and the deeper organ systems and really pull deeply the waste out and heat the body. Now, the anti-cancer effect of this is heating the body. And at half a degree, you start to kill mutations. So big advocate of infrared saunas. Sleep deprivation. This used to be almost a, uh, a non-issue when I began my work, you know, a half a century ago. Today, it's a major issue. Uh, one third of the population uh, admit to not sleeping well. And the truth of the matter is, it's about 70% that do not sleep adequately. And what we do know is something that I would have incorrectly talked about 30 years ago. We used to think as you get older, you need less sleep. Wrong. You need the same amount of sleep after you're 25 until you're 105. And that's about eight hours a day. Now, you may be a, a seven-hour sleeper. That's possible. And you may be a nine-hour sleeper. But what we do know is you need approximately eight hours a day. The best is on interrupted sleep. Now, I don't always get that. Because as you get older, as healthy as I am, I get up and urinate once or twice at night. Not a great thing. But the truth of the matter is, Uninterrupted sleep is better. On top of that, what is even the best is beside the fact that you're sleeping eight hours a night or approximately eight hours a night, you take a nap for 10 minutes in the afternoon. Now, I, I certainly don't do that unless I'm on a plane and you know, read so much that I pass out from it, something like that. But the fact of the matter is we now know 10 minutes of sleep, if you slept well the night before, is equivalent to 90 minutes of sleep. So a nap in the day, that's why you feel remarkable when you sleep for 10 minutes, is equivalent to 90 minutes sleep in a RAM sleep, deep sleep. Now, why is that effective? Well, you produce melatonin, by the way, when you sleep. If you don't sleep, you don't produce melatonin. Melatonin happens to have a real direct connection to immune function within the body. If your immune system is weakened because you're not sleeping, that deep RAM sleep that we just discussed, then by the way, every single disease can get into the body and take over. Cancer is one of the most notable ones. So people uh, that looked at the study that was done by the American Cancer Society, they went to all of the states and even the provinces of Canada and looked at people who slept six and a half hours and less, and ironically, 10 hours and more. Now, I'm talking about sleep deprivation, why would I now bring in the aspect of oversleeping? Oversleeping is indicative of depression. 
Now, let's quantify this. The fact is, until you're 25 years old, you could be sleeping 10, 12 hours a day and not have a problem. When you're a baby, you could sleep 15, 20 hours a day and not have a problem. You're still biologically, and after 21, brain-wise growing. The rational part of the brain doesn't settle till you're 25. The physical body generally slows by about 21 years old. So we've learned a lot in the last 35, 40 years on that. We used to say, you mature at 21. Nope, the brain doesn't stop. So between birth, a lot more sleep when you're an infant, a little less sleep when you're a toddler. Teenagers sleep a lot. Why? They can be growing. I, I, I'll never forget. Some of my children would grow in a summer an inch or two inches. Of course, they needed 12 hours of sleep when that was happening. After 21, you may not be sleeping 12 hours, but if you slept 10 hours, it wouldn't be an odd thing. Now you're 28 and you're sleeping 10, 11, 12 hours. It's a sign of depression. And a lot of you out there know what I mean, who have melancholy. And what we know is that the same thing depression does, suppresses the immune system, lack of sleep for six and a half hours sleepers and less, suppresses the immune system. You suppress the immune system, as they showed, three times more of the three major cancers. And let me repeat what I just said. Lack of sleep or depression literally showed three times more of the three major cancers. This is a study that was done, oh, must be 40, 40 years ago or more at this point. Sleep, pretty important. That's why we brought in technology like Nucom at Hippocrates. All of our guests are given the opportunity to go to Nucom, that even if you are a horrible sleeper, uh, this is work that's being done on, on the brain, neuron function of the brain, uh, with physicists and Harvard people, et cetera. We actually know that this can put you into the deep sleep. Uh, I try to go in and not sleep. Uh, and in five minutes, I was out like a light. Uh, my young son, who was 19 when we tested him, was out in a minute and a half. Anna Marie was out in three minutes. Uh, if you try not to sleep, usually, as long as you're clear, uh, your body's functioning well, your brain's functioning well, uh, this helps to put you to sleep. There's other less expensive technology called Fisher-Wallace. Fisher-Wallace, you can get on the internet and buy it. It uh, literally helps you to sleep. It's actually approved for that sleep and also depression, uh, which are indicative. And sleep apnea uh, kills a million Americans alone a year, directly or indirectly, either stopping breathing in the night or the heart disease it creates, strokes it creates, liver dysfunction it creates, kidney dysfunction it creates, lung dysfunction it creates. Uh, we don't want to get into that, but sleep apnea, by the way, is also altering sleep patterns for people. And they finally concluded what it was is those of us who were not breastfed, uh, that the mother's milk has a particular hormones in it, that when the baby is suckling, uh, it comes in and elongates the jaw. So that's why you may notice people 100, 150, 200 years ago had very stoic jaws. They were very defined jaws. And today it's rare to see that. And that's because that mother's milk wasn't being given and adequately, if at all. And uh, that jawline is back. It's not out sticking out the way it should be. And that's why we have a breathing problem from that. 
So sleep, pretty powerful stuff. Uh, we go back to the obvious on green leafies. So why are green leafy vegetables at the top of the list of anti-cancer agents? Well, green leafy vegetables put oxygen into the body. Green leafy vegetables have anti-cancer phytochemicals. Green leafy vegetables uh, that are eaten raw basically have all of the enzymes in them. They have phytochemicals in them. The list goes on. So the best organic vegetable to eat is a green leafy vegetable. And when you look at the cruciferous family, the cabbage family, it is most notable for having the sulforaphane, the anti-cancer agent in it. Now, when you are taking green juices, and sadly, when I'm traveling, I always ask for a green juice, and half the time they want to give me something with pineapple or an apple in it, and I have to say, no, I want a green juice, not a fruit juice with the little greens in it. Or I don't want a blended smoothie that kills all of this stuff. I want a juice made on a proper juicer that I drink immediately so it doesn't sit around and oxidize. And they're harder to find, and they really uh, get excited when I bring them <laughs> sprouts. And I say, you're making me the juice. I'll pay you the money. Put these sprouts in. Because this is a segue to green leafy vegetables are great. What blows them out of the water, blows every other thing out of the water, every medicine that has ever been looked at out of the water, is sprouts. Sprouts have more of these phytochemicals in it, anti-cancer agents in it. And the ones that are most obvious are Onion sprouts, garlic sprouts, radish sprouts, cabbage sprouts, broccoli sprouts, kale sprouts, Brussels sprouts, sprouts, cauliflower sprouts, and also collard green sprouts, mustard green sprouts. These are all part of the cabbage family. The only thing I have to say there, those of you who are enduring and suffering thyroid problems, you can take the sprouts of these, but I would avoid the cabbage family itself. We also realize that a lot of people today in the meat and dairy industry are saying, oh, it's very frightening. Uh, all of the vegans are not going to be able to think correctly because they won't get any choline. Guess what? The best source of choline are the sprouts of broccoli, the sprouts of cauliflower, the cabbage family. They're trying to tell you you need beef livers to have these things. Uh, you won't have to worry about your brain because you're going to die of a heart attack, stroke, or cancer. Eat beef livers or chicken or God knows what else these people are pushing or selling you to, to do. So sprouts uh, are probably the reason Hippocrates is most noted for people coming here and healing. And it wasn't really until 30 years ago we started to get our arms around that. Remember, we've been around, that's less than half the time we've been around. And only 30 years ago we started to Get the research science of this. I'm not afraid to read research science that teaches me something. And I just wish more people were willing to do that, especially those people who purport they're out to help people or their authorities or experts on something. Uh, what I'm saying tonight, every oncologist on the planet Earth should be reading about this. I'm not an oncologist. I'm reading about it. I'm studying it. On our faculty, I have the world's leading authority on our online program. Dr. David Williams, those of you out there who are interested in more research on this, look up Dr. David Williams, the Linus Pauling Institute at Oregon State University, the alma mater of Linus Pauling. Look at the work he's been doing for decades. 
And when I even present this at alternative conferences to alternative doctors, they put their nose up and they walk away. They're not interested in serious work. They just want to do, oh, get rid of meat and dairy and your heart will be better. Get rid of meat and dairy, you'll have diabetes, it will go away. That's kid stuff. What's killing us is what I'm talking about now. Not only killing us, but killing your children. And we better wake up, grow up, and start to move forward with these things. Foods in general. Let's talk about processed foods. Uh, I'm now doing around the globe. I started in Europe about a month and a half ago. Uh, a new presentation that I'm going to be doing at The Real Truth About Health called What Kills, What Heals. And it's straightforward stuff. And we looked at a study, uh, every, so that you know ahead of time, every thing I'm presenting has a minimum of 100 studies to support it. Uh, the most is 1,872 studies, but the minimum of 100 studies. I'm getting sick of these people saying there's not enough research on it. So one of the things on processed food, I walk into a health store, and I would tell you that probably 50% of the food in the health store is processed today. Yes, it's much healthier than what I find at most supermarkets, but it's processed food. It's in plastic. It's been heated at high temperatures. They have preservatives in it. Yes, they may be or may not be natural, but they trick you with these things sometimes. And what we know, they looked at 45,000 people who ate moderate amounts of processed food. They had doubled the amount of cancer. But if you want 100% more cancer, just eat processed food. Now, that's pretty frightening when you see that. This wasn't a small study. They looked 45,000 people over many years, and they concluded that people ate moderate amount, not what I used to eat. 100% of what I used to consume was processed. I didn't eat anything unless it was. Matter of fact, I probably didn't think it was attractive unless it was processed. And so if you just eat moderate amount, I don't know what that means, probably 25, 30% of your, your diet is a processed food, you have double the amount of cancer. So watch. How about fried food? Go back to heated oils again. And that's always going to cause cancer and heart problems and diabetes, etc. What about additives on food? How about genetic modification? We know for sure that causes cancer. What about preserving? We know for sure those chemicals create cancer. What about the heavy metals that they use in these processing factories? We know that that causes cancer. There's nothing that I'm telling you about processed food it doesn't directly link to cancer. And the ultimate thing is pr generally saying processed food generally, you have double the amount of cancer, sums it up pretty well as far as I'm concerned. So when you start to look at what we're facing living in the world today, living on the planet today, it can be pretty depressing. So let's look at nutrients that will help you. So the nutrients we know that are common, that everyone can get all over the world, is ionic forms of zinc. What turned out to be the superhero of minerals, all minerals are great. I just mentioned choline as an example. Great for the brain function, the heart function. But my God, we used to think vitamin C was the best thing for the immune system. It helps because it's an antioxidant. But the superhero is zinc. Matter of fact, the pharmaceuticals are making very expensive pharmaceutical drugs that are primarily the same zinc, maybe in lower amounts that you get at the health store for pennies. And so we know that this prevents not only the common cold, but because it strengthens and builds the immune system, prevents every disease, including cancer, 
or less helps to resist it. Again, anyone could get cancer if you're exposed to radiation, but it helps to slow the process down, switch on the genes rather than switch off the genes, and these are the things that you have to know. Another thing I may say to you is that all the antioxidants are anti-cancer. My favorite antioxidants are CoQ10, a living form, a ubiquinol form, the kind we have, that we create. Not only ubiquinol, it could be, and most often is, processed, and although it's ubiquinol cooked, you need a living form of ubiquinol made from plant sources. Alpha-lipoic acid. It's actually a culture that comes from yeast. It's a protein from yeast. Don't worry, it's not going to give you candida uh, because it's a protein extract from a yeast culture. Amazing antioxidant. Glutathione, the super, super, superhero. This is the superstar of them. Glutathione, by the way, uh, feeds the mitochondria and every disease, including cancer, is a mitochondrial disease. So the mitochondria doesn't have the energy. Cell burns out, the cell burns out, it becomes mutagenic, and the story grows from there. So these are supplements that I'd be. Yes, vitamin E has to be plant-based source. Watch out, most of the vitamin E on the market is made out of turpentine compounds. Don't want that, obviously. I used to actually clean paintbrushes when I was a young guy with turpentine. And so the other thing you have to know is vitamin C, great, but you have to food-based vitamin C. Uh, although I make the best vitamin C, there's a handful of companies around the world that make the same A-plus quality that Hippocrates does. I don't hardly ever take it. I take it when I'm on long trips, like I just came back from the West Coast and Toronto. But at home, I'm eating organic red peppers, yellow peppers, loaded, chocked, filled with vitamin C. So these are things that we know are supplements and foods that help to prevent cancer. And when you have the cancer, help you get the body's immune system strong enough to fight the cancer. How about sleeping at night? You know, what I learned when I was just a young lad is no matter where you live, as cold as it may be, as hot as it may be, make sure that you crack your window open. You're getting fresh air. Even if you live in a polluted city, it's much less polluted, the air that is coming from outside than in your home itself. The average home has six to seven times more pollution than outside. You have to know all of the compounds that are uh, making up the furniture and making up the rugs and the floor and the paint and the walls. And God knows all of that stuff. You know, even my house, and we went as green as humanly possible here. I'm sure I have chemicals floating around here. The paints I have hanging on the walls, (laughs) I'm sure they have chemicals coming off. So you just try to do your best. and dramatically reduce these things. And one of the things you can do is what I've done in my house, we suggested for people, Anna Maria is going to be presenting at The Real Truth about forests and how incredibly integral they are to our health and how people are finally getting to that and realizing it, using it as a healing mechanism now. But houseplants, and over in Norway is where they started. They are now taking certain uh, forest uh, plants and putting them on the wall. And it's beautiful, by the way. Inexpensive to do and beautiful. You can put them in frames and in your office space and in your home so that it actually gives you fresh, fresh air. And houseplants do it. Look at them. Some are better than others, and you can get on the Internet and look this up. I don't want to labor over that. And I'm fair to meet him on this. I'm not an expert, and I just know which ones work 
and we have a handful of those in my house. But living in a place like Florida, by the way, once the weather cools off here, we always open the doors. We don't use air conditioning until May again. And the fact is I'm outside a lot. You know, it's very favorable when you live in a warmer climate to be outside. And we notice when we're in cold climates, we just restrict ourselves. Yes, we go to the gym inside, but it's not the same as breathing air outside. Not the same as getting the aromatherapy from nature that you do. And not the same as when you're living close to an ocean, breathing that fresh air or up in the mountains where it's clean. And so putting house plants in and those walls of plants in, look it up. This is great decoration. It's, it's a talking piece, and it's going to help you and your family. Uh, we know that that's healthy. And we could also talk about pets. We know that there's less cancer in where people have close relationships with animals, cats, dogs, birds, etc. Uh, rabbits, you know, the little uh, pigs now, pet pigs. Uh, we know that people live longer. People have less disease, and cancer is one of those diseases. Uh, more friendship. Uh, we know two studies. If a person's lonely, so when they looked at long-term research over a two-generation period, uh, I believe this was the University of Chicago, and they actually uh, asked people who were lonely and seriously lonely or somewhat lonely or very lonely, and people who were seriously or very lonely, by the way, died 15 years sooner than the average population. 15 years sooner. After 65, 65 years old, people who had three close friends lived an average of seven and a half to eight years longer. So it's not just about what you eat and about the breathing of the fresh air. It's about human relationship. It boosts the immune system. Love boosts the immune system. You know, lack of love and, and loneliness raise the cortisol, which we started tonight speaking about. And positive hormones come out when you are touched in love and have friendship and have trust and have security. So these are incredibly important things. And what bothers me and worries me so much is that nine out of 10 people who are in marriages are not really, really happy. And that eight out of 10 people who are working aren't really happy with their work. And we are becoming a sick species of people that are frightened and running from fear and willing to take up mantles of insanity and believe craziness sometimes. And we're much easier to manipulate today than I've seen in my lifetime. And this is a disease-causing culture that we live in at this point. And so your thoughts and your minds, which we started about, is what I'd like to change tonight. Uh, rather than in inundate you with frightening news, uh, there's always remedies to these things. And, you know, I, I can tell you my own mission, my own voyage from the time I was a boy, I was on a self-destructive path and didn't know it. If you had talked to me, you would not have known that either. I was happy-go-lucky. I was a lucky guy, had parents that loved me, uh, had an education, and did all of the things I loved. Always played music, which I loved, this work I loved. But still, in the early part of my life, I was a self-saboteur. and. You've got to know, if you're on a march to destruction, you'll achieve it. And cancer is a formidable enemy. You know, it's not like getting over a common cold. Even early stage cancer is a feat, and it can be done. I've seen so many thousands 
and I'll say it again, thousands of people able to reverse their cancers. I know everyone can, but you have to have the knowledge, you have to have the will, you have to have the perseverance, you have to have the self-respect, and you have to have ongoing wisdom. You don't just say, I learned it all, that's all there is to know. The higher you go, the deeper you go, the healthier you'll be. So that's tonight's discussion on cancer, the things that cause it, the things that can prevent it, and I hope you and your loved ones will never have to face that disease. Brian, thank you for sharing all this great information. We uh, greatly appreciate it. And I am going to um, turn this over to questions. Let me just ask you this. When at this point in our webinar, I stopped the recording and I sent it to Hippocrates. Are you, where are you posting this recording and when for people who want to listen to the replay of it? I think it's pretty rapidly. When you send them, I assume they're putting it up. It's on our web presence under the podcast. So as I mentioned earlier, Anna Marie and I have a radio show, and I, I should mention this to you as well, Stephen. Uh, you can download the app, and it's a really great station. It's it's American standard, so it's everything from Tony Bennett, you know, to Diane Krall, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra, and we love to be on that show. And every Sunday morning, it's, so it's Legends Radio. So you can download the app, Legends Radio. And you can play it no matter where you are in the world. I listened to myself the other day in Canada. And uh, it's on 9 a.m. East Coast time, Sunday. And then you can catch it again uh, by getting on our podcast. We turn them into podcasts. And as Stephen just mentioned, for the last six months or so, We've been taking this initial segment on different subjects and putting that under podcast, too. We're going to have many other offerings starting the beginning of the year. We're revamping our web presence at Hippocrates as we speak, and a lot of offerings uh, for those of you around the world who could never get here, which is really the, the thing that you should aspire to do, to come to the Institute and experience it and be with our 150 team members and guests from all over the world. Uh, they tell me now we have people from uh, 17 countries at the Institute as we speak. Yeah. And so more and more of this. And, you know, the work that Stephen has been doing is brilliant. And I don't go anywhere on the planet Earth. I was in Germany. I was in Norway. I was in Geneva. People are mentioning to me the real truth about health. So congratulations for your time, your effort, your money, you, you know, your perseverance with this, Stephen. You're helping a lot Thank of people. You. Thank you very and much. How, you know, how, Brian, many, how many how many people are watching the verse? I mean, let's go back to seven years ago when we started this thing. How many people were watching then versus now? Well, we have we have over 16 million views so far of videos. So that's very encouraging. That means yeah. 16 million times someone has watched a video, and that pace is increasing now. And you know, as, as we've gotten bigger. So we're hoping that, you know, a lot of people see this and they're influenced and they take it into their lives and do something with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what it's about. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing, none of you know Stephen. So you probably think Stephen's just a shrewd business guy. Stephen doesn't make a penny on this stuff. He, he could be home relaxing tonight with his children and his lovely wife. The fact of the matter, he's doing this completely out of passion. And by the way, his sense of, humanity you know the fact is 
what we're talking about, just tonight's segment is an example. If people really took this to heart, you could prevent cancer that could kill you. If you put your family on these foods, it could prevent your child from getting cancer. This, this is a serious issue. You know, we talk about vaccines. You know, now they're going to mandate vaccines. I mean, Vax2 is coming out now. As we speak, it's being shown around the country. Uh, Big Tree, who has been at The Real Truth About Health a couple of times, one of the great heroes in the United States, and uh, Kennedy successfully three times sued government organizations, asking them, show us in the last 30 years one legitimate study that says vaccines are safe, and they won three times because there's no study. And Robert De Niro, I've been told, has a $200,000 reward out for the first guy who can bring them a study that says vaccines are safe for you. Nobody has won the $200,000. There aren't those studies. So if you don't think what we're doing here is important, you know, but what you need to do is a lot of you are advocates for what we're doing. You need to get your family members, your friends who think we're all wacky to listen to this stuff because they're being snowed by commercial interest. I can tell you right now, they're being rolled over. Their spirit is being sucked right out of them. And they are advocating for the very people that are killing them. Anyway, you got me worked up there. <laughs> so, Brian, I just um, this weekend uh, spent time with a, a, I don't know if you know a friend, my name, her name is Penny. She spent three weeks at Hippocrates last year in, uh, in January. And she's coming back for again for three weeks. Oh, and this yeah, yeah. is the... The fourth person I've sent, um, my friend Jason, my brother-in-law Stephen, uh, Penny, and one more person that uh, just recently went, and the oh Andrew Ludwig. So the four of them um, have all gone in the last two years, and I have a concern. All four of them came back after three weeks, way too excited and happy, like they had saying they had the greatest time, and I keep wondering. Why, what you're doing at Hippocrates, um, that they're having so much fun, and I'm hoping they're going to come home saying that they were in like a, a military camp where they were forced to you know, <laughs> juice and eat, and they're all coming back all exciting how much they love it, and they can't wait to go back, and they made friends, and it was a great community, and I'm wondering what's going on there. Well, you know, it's really funny, because this is a good time to ask me that. You know, any any organization has to occasionally sit together as a team, not just Anna and I, who are the founders, and ask ourselves, who are we today? Who are we in 2020? You know, I knew who we were in 1990 and 2000 and 2010. Who are in 2020? So we've just been asking ourselves that question. And so we have a group that came in from England, and they sat with us. And the conclusion was that we are bringing people back to their own heart, their own self. And when you find yourself, you find that little boy, that little girl, uh, that you were, you were just happy all of the time. Uh, you thought you could do anything. You, you could be heroic at that point. And somehow, through our social abnormality and parental training and education and religious dogma, uh, we start to erode. We start to get rusty. And we start to lose our sense of happiness and joy. And, and I think that's what people are doing. They're tapping into who they really are. And my biggest concern, Stephen, is not, yes, they're happy here, and yes, they'll come back. 80% of our guests return here, and many of them heal disease and come back. And 
half the people that come here aren't sick, which I'm really happy about now because that means they won't get sick and they won't age prematurely and, and all of the things that we're doing unnecessarily. But to go out there and keep that level of joy, and what happens is the vacuum cleaner of negativity starts. They go home to their wife. They go home to their husband. They go home to their coworkers. They go home to their family, their mothers or fathers. And they say, oh, well, that's unrealistic. Oh, you can't do that. You're happy. And before you know it, you're sucked right back into that negative darkness that, that pervades the planet Earth today. So I, I think what we really need to do in the future, and I see it happening, my children's generation that will lead the Institute, is we need little satellites everywhere. So it's almost like, you know, those rehab centers, not rehab centers, you know, AA meetings. <laughs> you know, when you're freaking out and thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to eat a chocolate donut, you run to the meeting that night. And I think that's the way we're going to. And, and the more we have indoctrinated the culture with it's not right to be sad. It's not right to be sick. It's not right to be unhappy. You know, that's not right to get decrepit when you get old. You know, I'm old. I'm not decrepit. I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my life before. You know, we got to get that out there today. People are so tenuous and so worried. No wonder we're sick. They're actually committing suicide without knowing that's their objective. Okay, Brian. So thank you very much. I'm going to go to questions now. I want to ask everyone to please be very direct um, because there's a lot of people that want to ask questions. It would be great if you would uh, make sure you're not muted. Uh, tell us your name and where you're from and try to ask a direct question with minimal or no follow-up unless it's necessary. Um, don't think of this as a private consultation where you have Brian's time just for you. We have a lot of people listening who want to uh, hear this. So it's important that everyone asks the questions directly, right to the point, and if possible, um, move on so that the other people can get their questions asked as well. Okay? So 